Hola mi gente. The moment you've been waiting for is finally here. My brand new book, Financially Lit, is officially out. And I can't wait for you to get your copy. Inside this book, I'm bringing you culturally relevant and relatable personal finance advice that will allow you to finally feel seen, heard, and understood. Whether it's the guilt you feel from being the first person to make it while members of your family are still struggling, or the way that financial trauma manifests itself in negative and limiting beliefs around money, Financially Lit is here to guide you through it all. Just a few years ago, it was almost impossible to find personal finance books written for first-generation wealth-building Latinas. We have been forced to navigate the complicated world of money with a bunch of money books written by old white dudes who don't understand what it's like for us first-gen kids. But that stops right here, right now. Inside Financially Lit, you will learn how to set boundaries with your familia, with your dinero, create and pass on generational wealth, diversify and increase your income, protect yourself from financial abuse, navigate the complicated relationship between amor and dinero, invest like a white dude or better, and so much more. You can get your hard copy and audiobook version of Financially Lit at financiallylitbook.com and make sure to join our email list so you can find out when I'm stopping in a city near you for the Financially Lit book tour. See you soon. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. When you're an entrepreneur, you need to be really honest with yourself about what you know and what you don't know. And whatever mm -hmm. you don't know, you have to hire for. You have to hire the people who are better than you in all these areas that you're not good at. And that is really what helps to build a solid foundation for the business, right? Because if you think you're going to be good at everything or you can figure it out, you're never going to be as good as when you bring the right people in who can help you execute And also the, yeah. the learning curve is super steep when you're an entrepreneur. So you don't mm -hmm. want to be learning these things that people have been doing for 20 years already. You bring those people in to complement what your strengths are and build from the ground up. You're listening to Yo Quiero Dinero, a personal finance podcast for the modern Latina. I'm your host, Janice Torres, award-winning Latina personal finance expert. I didn't always have my financial shit together, but when I started looking for POC-friendly personal finance podcasts, I couldn't find any. And so Yo Quiero Dinero was born. On this show, I'll show you how to make dinero, how to keep your dinero, and most importantly, how to make it grow. Each week, I'm connecting you with the most brilliant minds in the world of money and business, So you can learn about investing, entrepreneurship, and building wealth. The best part, I'm dishing up all this knowledge with a sassy side of sazón. So if you're ready to be poderosa with your dinero, you've come to the right place. Let's dive in. Before we hop into today's conversation, I want to remind you to follow us on social. If you're loving this podcast and you want more community, you want to find out more about our events and all the stuff that we have going on behind the scenes, You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, and everywhere else you love to hang out on the internet. If you're loving this podcast, please take a moment to leave us a review if you listen to us on Apple. 
It's the easiest way to share our podcast with people that you know and love, and it helps us get discovered by amazing listeners like you. So take a moment, leave us a review, share us with your friends and family, subscribe so that you never miss an episode, and make sure to check out our blog, YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com, where you can sign up for our email list and you'll never miss an episode. Plus, you get exclusive invitations to our live events, special discounts for our digital courses, and as always, our best personal finance tips and advice to help you be poderosa with your dinero. Thanks for listening. Now, let's get into the episode. Saskia, welcome to Yo Quiero Dinero. I'm super excited to have you here. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. All right. So let's start off with an introduction. Tell us a little bit about who you are. I'm a first-generation Hispanic. I moved to this country when I was 17 to go to college, was born and raised in Ecuador originally. After going to college, I got my first job here in the U.S. and then eventually decided to stay and built my 20-plus year career in consumer marketing here you know, had my family here. But my journey really started as a young adult in the US studying. Okay. That's awesome. So let's dive into your backstory because you founded an amazing company called Fresh Bellies and we're going to talk all about it. But I want to get to know your initial story. So you said you grew up in Ecuador, is that correct? I did. I grew up in Guayaquil, Ecuador, which is a coastal town in Ecuador. And my dad was a banana farmer. So he worked for Del Monte for a very long time. And then eventually bought a a banana farm and started selling and exporting bananas himself. And so we spent a lot of my childhood at the farm. Eventually, my dad built like a a home for us there that where we would spend a lot of the weekends and holidays. And we made everything from scratch. So we had cows and we drank fresh milk and made cheese and morcilla right Mm -hmm. on the farm. So definitely grew up in and around food. My dad was also an avid cook. Yeah. And then, you know, when I graduated high school, I knew that I wanted to go to college in the U.S. My parents always knew they would send us out to study. So eventually moved here and went to school and then into marketing at Burson Marsteller, which was my first job straight out of college. And so your parents sent you here alone? Alone. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Because I don't think that's very common for Latino (laughs) families to just go send their daughters overseas and be like, yes, mija, go study. So tell us what that was like. Yeah. So my two sisters, I'm the youngest of five. Four of us went out to study in the U.S. Two of my sisters were still in the U.S. in college at the time. They were in Boston and I decided to go to school in Washington, D.C. because, you know, why not make it more complicated for everyone? (laughs) I mean, at least I knew my sisters were here in the U.S. and they had really enjoyed their college experience here. And and I I knew that if I wanted opportunities and I wanted to build a career, it had to be here. There just wasn't a lot for me or for us in, in our country. So, yeah, I mean, it was scary, but I was also super excited. I mean, just the possibilities of meeting new people and exploring this whole new world and culture was really intriguing to me. And so I I left home just absolutely ready to face a new challenge and a new experience. Yeah, that's incredible. And like I mentioned, I don't think that it's as common for, you know, people in our community to be okay with their kids kind of leaving to go and find their own way. So I'm curious to know a little bit more about your parents. Like, what were they like when you were growing up? What were some of the biggest lessons that you think you took from them? Yeah, I mean, I think on my dad's side, he was just a true entrepreneurial in every sense of the word. I mean, he was always inventing some type of gadget or machine or thing that he wanted to sell. 
he would build toys for us from scratch, just from like plywood and things he would find around the garage. He always would sit us down and say, guys, I have this new idea for this new thing. And I think it would be a hit and like tell us about his thought process and what the machine would do. I mean, he even opened a restaurant at one point and it was one of the the most popular restaurants down there of Spanish food. So he was always into this, like, what am I going to do next? What am I starting? You know, eventually having this banana farm and building his business that way. But from him, we learned, gosh, like there's always an opportunity to do something new, to create something, to work your butt off, to do what needs to get done, to really live out your dreams. Right. And then he was also a really social person. So he thrived from being surrounded by people like Mm -hmm. the more people that were around our house and the more people he was serving and cooking for it that really invigorated him and energized him and so you know I also got that from him like I feed off of people and I truly enjoy like being surrounded by good energy and learning from others and then from my mom so my mom's an artist she paints and she's done exhibits you know all over the world in Ecuador in the U.S. In Costa Rica, and she continues to paint today. But from her, you know, we got the also the creative side of things, like just letting your mind go, creating things from scratch, seeing unusual things in the most ordinary places, like all of that creativity. My mom has brothers and sisters who were musicians, so we grew up with music too at a really young age. And she was also all about the discipline. Like my dad was the dreamer and like, I want to do all these million different things. And my mom was all about the discipline. And if this is what you want to do, then you got to put your mind to it and you got to be committed to it. And it's practice, discipline, doing it over and over and over again until you get really good. So I think we had like a really good combination of work ethic and creativity that Mm -hmm. for me came out not only in my career, working at, you know, PR agencies, and then eventually at the National Basketball Association, but also in starting a business, because it's easier to have an idea, it's harder to put that idea to work, and actually execute. And that's where the discipline and commitment comes in. And, you know, we had those two things. Yeah, that sounds like an incredible environment that fostered what is now become your own destiny. And I want to know, I think what scares people about entrepreneurship is this lack of like being able to predict the future, right? And so that's why one of the things that people from our parents' generation can want for us is a more stable career. So they encourage us to go to college, you know, do the traditional corporate thing. Do you think there was any push for your parents to kind of stay away from the potential chaos that entrepreneurship could be? No, sadly, my dad passed away before I started the business. So he never Mm. got to see me be an entrepreneur, which I think for him would have been one of the happiest days of his life. (laughs) Because I think he always hoped that one of us, one of his five daughters started their own business and became their own bosses. That was, I think, his dream, because that was always his. And so that's what he wanted for us. But my mom was all about, if this is what you want to do, you absolutely go and get that. For me, it was really hard because I, you know, I moved here with nothing other than knowing that I was going to go to college and my parents supporting me through that. But I worked throughout my entire college career just to make extra money and have my own income and be able to enjoy my experience and have disposable income. And so I was very used to having a paycheck and knowing to expect that paycheck from a really early age. I mean, I started working in college since my freshman year. Then I went on to build a career and I had a paycheck and I moved up the corporate ladder pretty quickly and I had a reliable, predictable income 
eventually I had a family and my husband and I were a dual income home. And so for me, leaving that predictability and that cushion was really hard. I think it was harder than it was for my mom when I told Mm -hmm. her that's what I wanted to do. And it was hard for my husband too, because it was, you know, we had to make a decision. I mean, when I quit my job at the NBA, at that time I was vice president of marketing. We had a six month old baby at home and a two year old toddler. Mm -hmm. So we were in the thick of it. And to go from two incomes to one was a really hard decision to make. And it put a lot of pressure on my husband. And you know, we had to make sacrifices to be able to do that. For me, that was one of the scariest things was, I'm really going to leave this behind. I always say that for entrepreneurs, I think the reason you take these risks and you make these jumps is because you just don't know what you don't know, right? And at the time I thought, well, look, you know, maybe I won't have a paycheck for six months, but in a year for sure, I'll be paying myself. And that never happens because <laughs> <laughs> the timeline is always longer than you think. But I didn't know that at the time. And so you you take those risks because you have a sometimes unrealistic view of the way things are going to play out. And then once you're in it, you're like, well, now I'm in it. Now I'm not going back. So we're going to make this work at all costs, right? Yeah. So I think what you're talking about is the golden handcuffs, right? When you have all of the success from the traditional standpoint, you have the titles, you have the paycheck, you have your career and walking away from that can feel like you're going to disappoint people or you're going to take unnecessary risks. And so how did you first come up with the idea for this company? I'd be curious to know what your thought process was, because I think that's one of the major questions that I get from aspiring entrepreneurs. It's like, how the hell do you come up with the idea? It really stemmed from having kids. So I grew up in South America and I grew up around food very differently than the food that was being offered to children here. A lot of the food for babies was bland or for kids was bland, super high in sugar. So everything was sweet. There was nothing savory. And I, food for our household was a really big part of our family unit and our experiences and the shared community that we had. And so I wanted my girls to grow up around food in the very same way, just like appreciating flavors and exposing their palates to different textures and foods and really enjoying eating as this like sacrimonious thing that you do and brings you closer together and understanding where food comes from and all these things that I grew up with. And I just couldn't find it in the grocery store. And so when I had my first daughter, you know, my mom came to live with us for the first three months to just help us out. And then she would come back and forth. And when It was time to introduce solids. She was all about helping me, you know, make these foods for her. Like, all right, we're going to make butter, squash, sage, and onion for her. Are we going to make whatever it was, like beets, you know, remolacha, which is beets. And we were making all this food from scratch and then freezing it and having the menu for the week because I was working full time. And so Mm -hmm. this sort of became another full time job and I had help. That's where the thought first came into my head, which was like, how can kids be eating all the sugar from such an early age? And then we're concerned about the childhood obesity statistics and we're concerned about type two diabetes and like all these preventable things, but we're not paying attention to how we're feeding children mm-hmm. when they first start tasting food. And there was all the scientific evidence pointing towards the foods we introduced during this flavor window period, which is like from six to 12 months, being like a main culprit in all these diseases. You know, I can't believe in no one's doing anything about this or bringing something different to the market. And then I took six months maternity leave with my first daughter, went back to work. And then two years later, had my second daughter and there was still nothing in the market. 
to really meet this demand and to really respond to the scientific research that was out there saying that we had to meet this demand. And so that's when I took six months off with my second daughter as well, and then decided not to come back. I came back to the MBA for about a week and gave my resignation and said, you know, I have to do this. I think this is really where I want to focus all my energy and my time. And Mm -hmm. it was like a business with a social mission, right? Like we can play a part in preventing childhood obesity. We can play a part in preventing type two diabetes and in helping children become healthier eaters. And I really want to play a role in that. That's it. I I quit my job. And then I didn't know the first thing about food. (laughs) (laughs) Other than making it in my kitchen. So I enlisted the people who did, you know, I I partnered with an executive chef who's a friend and it was perfect timing because at the time he was moving from New York to Philly to open restaurants, but had this free time to help us out. I partnered with our head of business development, who's still with us today, who's a food manufacturing guru and knew all about manufacturing food in the US and all the, the facilities that could potentially make this product for us. You know, just I started tapping into people through my network that would play a critical role in helping me get this off the ground. I think that's such an important point that you bring up is like leveraging those connections is such a key part of not floundering as a new entrepreneur because you are not going to know it all. And trying to become the expert in all the things is how you become burnt out very quickly. That's right. (laughs) And you won't do it right. I mean, I have always Mm. said, even when I worked at the NBA and I used to have to hire team members and I believe this even more so when you're an entrepreneur is hire for your weaknesses, right? Like when you're an entrepreneur, you need to be really honest with yourself about what you know and what you don't know. And whatever Mm -hmm. you don't know, you have to hire for. You have to hire the people who are better than you in all these areas that you're not good at. And that is really what helps to build a solid foundation for the business, right? Because if you think you're going to be good at everything or you can figure it out, you're never going to be as good as when you bring the right people in who can help you execute. And also the, yeah. the learning curve is super steep when you're an entrepreneur. So you don't mm-hmm. want to be learning these things that people have been doing for 20 years already. You bring those people in to complement what your strengths are and build from the ground up. Yeah. So let's talk about the financial steps that you took in order to prepare yourself to take this leap, right? Because I think what happens for a lot of us is maybe we get overzealous and we make the leap before we are financially in a good place to do that. And if you're a person from a marginalized community, typically you're not going to have people in your circle who can just like, you know, sponsor your life for X amount of months while you go and live out your entrepreneurial dream. So what did you do personally and with your husband financially to prepare for what was going to be a potentially substantial drop in income? And then also allow you to have invested the investing capital you need to start the business. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. 
from the launch your online store shop phase to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, did we just hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash dinero, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash dinero now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash dinero. I took out money from our 401k to start the business. That was Mm -hmm. the initial funding, which was a big sacrifice. I mean, and you get hit pretty high taxes when you do that. It's not like we had extra cash sitting around to start a business. So we made a decision that that's what I did. And then that got us off the ground so that we weren't spending our income on starting the business. And that helped me, you know, bring in the right people and get all the food processing licenses we needed, buy the equipment and the materials that we needed to sell at farmers markets, which is where we were selling at first. Four or five months in, I knew that this wasn't a hobby business. I knew that this could be big and I wanted to take this nationally and I wanted to be in stores. That's when we knew we had to bring in outside money because we we just didn't have the money to fund the business the way it needed to be funded to go national, to go big. I had no idea where to start. I had never raised money before. And I just started asking around. My brother-in-law is an entrepreneur too. And so he helped sort of direct places to where to look. And I I became obsessive about researching angel networks and high net worth individuals, angel investors, you know, all these places that could potentially be a vehicle for us to get Mm -hmm. funding. I reached out to friends who I knew were entrepreneurs who had their own businesses and were successful. And some of those became some of our most significant investors just by introducing us to their own networks of investors and their own funds that they had worked with. But that's how we started. And I applied. I think every single angel network in New York, every single one. And I went to pitch to every single one. I was just there. And, you know, it's like throw the spaghetti at the wall to see what sticks, Mm -hmm. but you just have to explore every single avenue until you get the one that works for you. And and that's what I did. It's like Mm -hmm. asking around, applying, researching, and eventually we got our seed round funded, which was the very first round that we did. That's incredible. You also pitched to Shark Tank. I and I want to know what the hell that is like, because I'm obsessed with the show. And I just want to know, like, is it as terrifying as it, it is from TV? <laughs> it is. <laughs> yeah. It is. That was a crazy experience. And I, even to this day, because it still airs, like they re-air, they rebrand these episodes. And when someone sees me and they text me, and they're like, oh my God, I just, it's surreal. I feel like this was another <laughs> lifetime ago. But yeah, we filmed that in 2019. So it was really early on in the business. We actually didn't even have the snacks in the market yet. 
absolutely as terrifying. The application process is crazy. And we were sought out by one of their producers, actually. They found us through one of the angel networks that invested in our business. They reached out. I thought it was I thought it was a scam. I was like, there's no way I'm responding to this person. This is a scam. And it ended up being legitimate. So at first, I didn't know if I wanted to go through it. Eventually, we decided yes. And then the application process was crazy. I mean, they do really hardcore screening. You have to do all these interviews and you make it through different rounds. And then once you're through, the preparation is really intense. Going on the set is what you see. So you you get to prepare your pitch. That's it. You have one shot to, to, to do your pitch that you're prepared. And then the Q&A is ad hoc, whatever they ask. You answer and it's tapes and they run whatever you say. You can't do it over. So it is <laughs> no, a, edit. no editing whatsoever. So it is wow. terrifying. It is really, really terrifying. <laughs> what happened? Did you get any money from them? No, we did not get funded. So by the, to- okay. by the time we went on there, we had already raised two rounds of funding and mm-hmm. all the sharks thought that our valuation was too high. And we, we had even brought it down just to be on the show. But they all felt like the valuation was too high, and so they didn't come in. But they were complimentary of the company and the business and what we were doing. And it helped. I mean, you know, it's like the Shark Tank effect is a real thing. Every time it airs, we see the spikes on our website. We see people emailing (laughs) us to our customer service email. Our following on Instagram goes up. It It is a true thing. Like people watch the show and discover you through these episodes. Wow, that's incredible. So it feels like even just the publicity aspect of it is probably worth the, the drama. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> that's incredible. I want to go back to something that you said when you were talking about when you were in the initial phases and you're selling this at farmers markets and you get that initial sign from the universe, if you will, that like this is going to be big. What do you call that? What is that intuition? Is that your instinct? Like, how do you identify this? Because I think a lot of people don't know how to make that recognition that they have found that thing. Yeah, that's a really good question. I think it is intuition. We were selling at three farmer's markets at that time, which in and of itself was crazy because we had, (laughs) it was, I mean, we all laugh about it now. And my older daughter somewhat remembers our little one was six months old. So we were packing the car with the two kids and the tent and all the product and driving to these farmer's markets to set up at 5.30 in the morning on weekends. So my husband was working Monday to Friday. And then on Saturday and Sunday, we were going to these farmer's markets at 5.30 in the morning to set up with these two babies and sell an entire day. It would start at like, I mean, the farmer's market opens at like 6.30, I think in the morning, and then we would sell till one. So that was our weekend you know, eventually we developed this like following of people who were coming to the farmer's market to buy our baby food. And this was the only food they would feed their kids. It was a lot of parents who were making the food themselves because they couldn't find something in the grocery store that even remotely looked like this or looked like what they made at home. And so just that feedback was, was eye opening. It's like, my gosh, like, you know, I'm not the only parent who wishes there was something like this in the market. There, There's like a whole slew of parents who want this, can't get it. And so they come here to buy it. But what if we were in 5,000 stores? What would that Mm -hmm. look like? So that was it. It was just hearing the feedback and seeing that we we had created this following and there were families who sought out our products because it was so unique and met a really specific demand that I thought, you know, that this, 
not just for farmers markets. This really is for everyone and it should be out there for everyone. So it's accessible. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about as you scale your business, how you get it into your first store. What was that process like? It was wild. So the executive chef's wife, who's also a friend, she was a lawyer and she was helping with a lot of the legal stuff. But between her and I, we were like scouting buyers at these different local grocery stores and emailing them cold, you pitching our product and saying, we'd love to come and meet you and have you try it. And some of those buyers responded. And that, that was how we got in. It was wild. I mean, one of the first stores was Mrs. Green's and they put us in all stores, but we, we had never sold in a store before. And the product was frozen at the time, which was crazy because there was no frozen baby food at the time in the stores. And so it was a really unique thing. But yeah, it was it was just us cold trying to stalk these buyers online, find their email addresses, and then just sending them cold emails pitching the product. We laugh about it now, but it was me driving to these meetings with the product in one of my daughter's lunch bags, like little, <laughs> her like preschool lunch bag. <laughs> and that's how oh, I would, nice. <laughs> which was like a giraffe or who knows, like one of the skip hop, like giraffe lunch boxes. And wow. that's how I would show up to the meetings. I would take the lunch box, open it up and have them try it. So it was as scrappy as you can imagine. That's what mm -hmm. we were doing, but we were doing whatever it took to get it done. Wow. Okay. So you started your product as a frozen product so, and now you've moved on to shelf stable yeah. snacks. So how did that come about? We quickly realized frozen was an extremely expensive distribution channel. And then no one was really buying baby food in the freezer aisle, right? Because you're not, mm -hmm. you're going to the baby aisle to buy freezer food. So there was a lot of education that had to go into letting people know that there was now this baby food right next to frozen veggies. And if people saw it there, they didn't know what it was. It was like a glass jar that was frozen and, you know, the, the writing was really small, so they couldn't figure out what it was. We quickly realized it would be very capital intensive to be in the freezer space. We figured out a way to move over to refrigerated. And refrigerated was the same thing. There were other players in refrigerated. There were like smoothie packs or like pouches in that space. And even they were struggling and they were really well-funded. Refrigeration is hard. The shelf codes or shelf life of these products is short. So you mm -hmm. have a very minimal amount of time to get on the shelf and sell it because a yeah. lot of the shelf life is wasted in the warehouse. And so that for us was also a short-lived thing. We, we tried it and we thought, you know, we're not a, a company that's, that's raised $20 million, right? We're, we're mm -hmm. still very much a small lean company and this is going to eat up all of our capital. And so in 2019, we launched our toddler snacks, which were shelf stable. That is really what took us from being like 200 stores with our refrigerated baby food to 2000 stores by the end of that year. And wow. that's when we realized, look, this is where we're going to make money. There is nothing in toddler snacks with the same, you know, this approach of savory snacks, vegetables, seasoning, you know, it's an untapped space and this space is shelf stable and it's much easier to distribute and it is a much faster growing category. So mm -hmm. also a I think longer that's an incredible insight for entrepreneurs to be paying attention to because sometimes the first idea yeah. is not going to be the one. That's a really good lesson when you're an entrepreneur. Sometimes you get so enamored by your own product that you forget to listen and you forget to pay attention mm -hmm. to what's happening around you or what the data is telling you. And I think one of the things that makes you a really strong entrepreneur is to be super flexible, listening, and ready to react when you need to, right? Because the quicker yeah. you react and you pivot, 
the less money you waste. And you don't want to be wasting your own money and investors' money on things that you know or the market is telling you are not big sellers or are not going to do well. You, you have to be ready to pivot and you need to be able to do that quickly. There's like a line, something like, if you're going to fail, fail fast. And mm-hmm. I 100% believe that. It's like, test it out, didn't work, move on to the next thing. Didn't work, move on to the next <laughs> thing. But you need to be ready to do that because, I mean, imagine had we... Had we put all our money into the ba- refrigerated baby food, we wouldn't be where we are now. You know, I think another thing that's incredible is just your overall story of being an immigrant in this country and not only working your way up to the tops of the corporate echelons, but also just like working your way up to becoming this really successful business owner. And for me, I think that that requires some sort of like radical self-belief, which I think is not really common in especially women of color. I think society in general tends to diminish what we believe is we are capable of. And so I'm wondering if you could give any insight into where that self-belief comes for you, being in spaces where you don't see a lot of people who look like you. It's tough. And I think once you get into the capital raising side of things, you realize how much of a minority you are. I think that was the first time ever, because even when I was in the corporate world, I knew I was a minority, but I never felt it. I felt like if I worked hard enough and I, and I did what I had to do and I showed up, I was getting paid off by moving up the ranks and getting, you know, moving up to the next level and having all these responsibilities. And so I never felt like being a minority impacted my career in any way. It was only when I became an entrepreneur that I felt it like this is hard and raising capital from institutional investors is really hard. And I'm one of very few Latinas that's even out there doing it or that's getting money. I think the statistics for Latinas is like 2% of money, VC money goes to women. And I think 0.5% or less than 0.5% goes to Latina women. Can you imagine the chances that you're going to get funded by an institutional investor are slim to none. And Mm -hmm. I felt it, right? Like you get so many no's when you're raising capital. You're often sitting in a room full of men that don't look like you and pitching for us, it was pitching a kid's product. And sometimes, you know, the men couldn't relate to that. It wasn't always the case, but it was often the case. And that was hard. And so you're getting no left and right. And you're having to pick yourself up and go and do it again and go and do it again. While it is hard to be knocked down that many times or be told no that many times, it also makes you fight harder. It makes you super resilient. Like, well, fine, they told me no, but I'm going to show them I will get this done. Whether it's with them or without them, I will get this done. And you have to pep talk yourself through it to make you strong enough and mentally equipped enough to get out there and do it again. And believe, you know, whoever you're doing it to the next time, you have to believe in yourself for them to believe in you. So you really have to believe in it. It's like, shake it off, get up, do it again. I really believe that that has to come from your own belief in what you're doing in your product, and in your ability to get it done. Everything else is just, okay, well, it's it's a lesson learned, move on to the next. Lesson learned, move on to the next. There's, a, you know, there's something to learn from every no that you get. It just makes mm-hmm. you better for the next pitch. But your own belief in yourself can't waver. And it's tested for sure, but it yeah. can't waver. Because if that wavers, it's going to be really hard for other people to believe in you. Yeah, that's a really important message. I'm curious from your corporate career, what do you think is the single most valuable skill that you were able to take away that has enabled you to grow your business to where it is today? I would say challenging the status quo for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mm-hmm. 
you know, the corporate world is very much about doing what's supposed to get done or doing what's always been done. You know, the typical, it's always been done this way. And I was very much about how can we do things differently? I always have been actually, I was like that in school too, and was often getting in trouble because of it. (laughs) And so my mom was like that. She jokes around about it now, but she always had to go in for parent teacher conferences because I was always challenging the teachers and it, it was not welcome in our school. I truly believe that's what got me far in my career and what gave me all these opportunities that I wouldn't otherwise have had. I mean, it was speaking up, right? Like, why are we doing this this way? I get that it's always been done this way, but what if we do this? And what if Mm -hmm. we do that? And I wouldn't just have the idea. I would actually work really hard behind the scenes to put together a plan. Like, I have studied this. I have looked into it. And I think that this would work this way for these reasons. And look at the competitive research. So I would have like a case for every mm. idea I brought forward, which made it really compelling for the, you know, my bosses or the people listening to it. And so I think that ability to not get stuck in a box, but mm. really challenging the barriers to think bigger helped me start a business and also helped take the business to where we are today. It's, and I do that all the time. Like I, we're a small team, but even with our team now, I challenge them all the time. If they say no, I say, why not? (laughs) Why not? I don't like no. No, to me, no is not an answer unless you've exhausted every single option and you still got to know. But if you say no before you've even tried, it's not an answer. And I I don't accept it. And I think that mentality is really important in entrepreneurship because, you know, we just talked about it for capital raising, but in everything else, like, How many buyers are going to say no? How many manufacturers are going to say no, they don't want to work with you because you're too small? You know, how many, whatever it is, financial companies, banks, you know, they're all going to say no. And if you don't challenge that, it's going to be really hard for you to get to a good place because if you just take it and walk away, then you're just letting things happen the way they typically do, but they could be different. And you won't know that unless you challenge it. Yeah, that's brilliant. So I'm curious, what is up next for you and Fresh Bellies and everything that you have going on? We're in growth mode. We are this year in the process of launching new flavors. You know, we're expanding new distribution. Our goal with our adult snack line and our, our preschool snack line is now to go after some of the new cha- newer channels that we haven't explored before. So things like food service and cafes and club type of stores. We've been very focused on grocery stores, both conventional and natural, and also e-tailers, just growing and making our product more accessible to more people, and then innovating. We have some pretty cool ideas of new flavors and products that we want to continue to put out there to the market that aren't currently available. And so continuing to surprise customers with delicious and unique products is, is another big goal for us. That's fantastic. Where can folks find out more about you and your company? Yep. So they can go to freshbellies.com to find out more about the products that we currently have and where we sell them. On Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, we're at Fresh Bellies. And then in stores, they could find us nationwide from coast to coast on at Target, Whole Foods, Kroger, Sprouts, Fresh Time, Meyer, Rayleigh's, you name it. 
I'm going to have to go and get some of these too, because they sound very delicious. I got to try them. (laughs) Yes, they are delicious. (laughs) (laughs) Saskia, thank you so much for your time. And thank you for giving us some insight into what it looks like to, you know, scale a business to this point. I think this is going to be a really inspirational conversation for folks because, you know, I just don't think we see enough of these examples of what it's like to really bootstrap your business and take it to places where you could never imagine. So thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you are ready to take your dinero to the next level, sign up for our free 14-page guide, The Financially Lit Latina, the ultimate blueprint for becoming poderosa with your dinero. This 14-page guide includes our best tips on money mindset, budgeting, debt repayment, career, investing, financial independence, side hustles, and more. And you can get it completely free. So to get your copy of the Financially Lit Latina, just head over to YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com slash start. That's YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com slash start and start transforming your dinero story today. Until next time, stay empowered, stay inspired, and stay poderosa. On the Yo Quiero Dinero podcast and associated entities, all information provided is for general information purposes only and does not constitute accounting, legal, tax, or other professional advice. Listeners should not act upon the content or information found here without first seeking appropriate advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other professional. We assume no responsibility for information contained on this podcast and associated entities and disclaim all liability with respect to such information, including but not limited to any liability for errors, inaccuracies, omissions or misleading or defamatory statements. Usage of this podcast and associated content constitutes an explicit understanding and acceptance of the terms of this disclaimer.